In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible, incredible guest here with me, Christy Whitman. Christy, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm so happy to be here with you, Pamela. I am so excited to have you. So for those of you who don't know Christy, she is an out-of-this-world, incredible New York Times bestselling author, channel for the group of Ascended Masters among coach and amazing things. And I cannot wait to talk about her story today. So Christy, I just want to thank you so much for you being here today and being with us. And I'm just pumped to hear about your journey and you've got quite a journey. (laughs) So I would love to start off with, you know, what is it that inspired your journey to sort of where you are today? Well, you know, I had graduated from college. I knew at a young age, I wanted to go to college and kind of was on this path that I knew that I wanted to be in sales and marketing and I wanted to sell consumable products, right? Things that were not like one-time purchase, like a car or TV, right? And so I graduated from college and I moved to Chicago. I was born and raised in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I moved to Chicago with my best friend and I got a great job with a liquor distributing company. And so my job was literally selling wine and liquor, you know, to bars and restaurants. And I quickly got promoted to a supplier of that liquor distributor. So I had, you know, a nice territory. I literally had, it was like I was my own boss and I would call on, you know, the managers and the owners and and the, the food and beverage managers from like the top hotels and restaurants in Chicago. And I was literally like eating my way through Chicago because my job was to go and meet them. And so a lot of times the best way to do that is to go and be a guest at the restaurant, for example. And so I bring my girlfriend Dawn with me and we would go to like the greatest restaurants, meet the managers, the owners, you know, kind of introduce myself that way and have a meal expenses on the company and then get a meeting you know, to be able to talk about getting my wines in the restaurants or the hotels Mm -hmm. and, or we would go to these bar things. And, you know, so I was partying up. I was in my young twenties in Chicago and here I was, I had health in my body. I lived in a brownstone with my best friend. I, you know, was, had really great career success. I was making really good money. And at the end of the day, no matter what I accomplished, it never felt like it was enough. And I didn't feel fulfilled. And it was like, I kept hitting all of those, you know, landmarks of success that I thought would make me happy. And as I continued to hit them, I was getting more and more unhappy. So I started feeling like there's got to be more to this, right? It's like, there's more to life than just doing stuff, accomplishing stuff, succeeding, making money. And I started to feel this sense of like spiritual kind of churning that I was being called for something but I didn't know what it was. 
And I even remember I was born and raised Catholic. I remember going back to the Catholic church and just feeling like, okay, what I'm looking for is not here. And, and just feeling even more depressed. Cause I'm like, God, I thought, you know, maybe the spiritual side of me or the, the religious side of me, or, you know, wanted was calling me, but it, this is not calling me. I feel empty here. And so the series of events that happened, I happened to be dating a guy that lived in Northern California and it worked from my company that I work for. So I asked my company if I could do a lateral move to California and they accepted and I moved to Northern California and he was the last bad guy I ever dated because although things were really great, I always attracted those just guys that were like alcohol and drug addicted that were either cheaters that were just completely emotionally unavailable that, you know, just that kind of guy. And so I moved to Northern California and found out that the whole time I was dating this guy, he was with another woman and wasn't being honest with me and that whole thing. So I was literally there a month. And the only person I had met was a hairdresser and um, hairstylist. And her name was Janine. And I happened to need to get my hair cut. So I went in to see Janine and I only met her so I, once or twice. So it wasn't like I had these in-depth conversations with her, but now I'm like one-on-one with her because she's cutting my hair. And I was watching her as we're talking and she just had this like inner joy coming out of her and nothing I'd ever experienced, like the authentic joy that she was just like bubbling up from her. And I was listening to her. We were talking, having a conversation and finally being as blunt as I am. I'm like, okay, what do you do? And she just started laughing because she knew exactly what I meant. I'm like, you're so different than anybody I've ever met. And she goes, well, I meditate. Now, Pamela, you have to remember this is 25 years ago, right? I'm 25 years old at the time. And I had never met anybody that meditated. My idea of meditation was like that guy wearing a white robe with the white hair, the white beard, sitting on a mountaintop, oming and yogi style, right? That was my identification with meditation. Mm -hmm. And so she just completely shifted my paradigm on that. I'm like, meditate. So she said, yeah. So we talked about how she's got a meditation teacher and she goes, I'll give you her number. She's also a, um, a spiritual advisor. She's, you know, also channels this kind of stuff. I didn't know what any of that meant. Right. So I'm calling her as I'm like, but those, we had huge <laughs> cell phones back then. They're like bricks. I'm calling her as I'm leaving the salon and I sat in front of her. I went to her house and here again, I walk in and there's candles everywhere, clinky, clanky, new age music, which I never listened to. I was a rocker chick, still am. Statues of angels, incense. I'm like, like the senses. All, I'm like, where am I? Right. There's the, I mean, she had just, oh my gosh, like rainbow flags. And wasn't like she was doing it for, you know, cause she's gay. It was because that was like the rainbow flag of like the rainbow light, mm-hmm. but I didn't know any of this. So I'm just going, where am I? And so we don't sit on the, on a chair. We sit on a cushion on the floor. And now I'm like, okay, this is so weird. (laughs) And she said to me before we even got into any type of meditation, before we even had that conversation, she goes, you create your own reality. And it was like something bigger than me opened up. I was like, every cell in my body was just vibrating. And I'm like, yes, I do. I'm like, I don't know how I know this. This is true. And then I leaned in and I was like, but how? Like my logical mind kicked in and went, well, how? 
And she said, your thoughts, I'm like, my thoughts. And she goes, you're either attracting things to you or repelling things from you by the way you think. And I'm like, again, whoa, that's true. My thoughts, my thoughts are my thoughts. And it was this moment of like, I knew I could change my mind. I don't want to go here. I want to go there. Right. I want to wear this. I want to wear that. But the way I thought about things, I didn't know that I could choose to change my thoughts. I thought that just was, I mean, the thoughts that were in my head were real. And so she had me do probably the best assignment I have ever done in my life. She told, told me to go home and just be the witness to your thoughts. Let yourself be present, which I never was with your thoughts. And I couldn't believe how negative I was. I was so judgmental about myself, so critical, condemning, not only about me, but anybody I saw, you know, drivers on the road. I mean, God itself. I mean, it was just, everything was so negative. And I remember calling, having this realization, calling my girlfriend, Dawn, who still lived in Chicago. And I said, God, I'm so negative. And she goes, you are not, you're one of the most positive people I know. You're a constant optimist. I'm like, you should be inside of this thing because it's not good in here. Maybe it filters and something comes out where like something changes where I say positive things, but in here, Mm. I don't feel good inside of me. And so that became my quest to literally figure out why do I think this way? Why do I think in such negativity? And what I realized back then is that my perspective, my training was all based in lack. And by thinking in lack, I would always feel bad. And I really started to look at and discover what were the differences between a lack mindset and an abundant mindset, right? So I started on this journey of opening up spiritually. And about, I want to say it was like maybe less than a year later, my sister, who was my older sister, she's 11 years older than me. Thank God I had been going through this and feeling and meditating and changing my thoughts and, you know, looking at my perspective. She decided to commit suicide. And at that time, I remember feeling so grateful that I knew what I knew because I was able to really process and not be a victim to what she did. Mm-hmm. And to like, cause I saw my mom and dad, I mean, they were just, their lives were almost ruined. Right. And my mm-hmm. dad became the shell of a person and he said, well, time will heal all wounds. And I really knew different. No, we have to take an active approach in the healing process in order to heal And so every tear I felt came up, I allowed myself to cry. Every time I felt angry, I allowed myself to feel that feeling and really being able to know about energy and about, you know, changing my perspective, it saved me during that time. And I was able to literally change that set point or that, you know, set back into something that propelled me forward. So about five years into healing and practicing for my own sense of wanting to feel connected and wanting to feel good and wanting to have a different perspective of life. That's when my first book, Perfect Pictures, downloaded through me mm-hmm. and literally woke me up at 105 in the morning with this information. And I got up and just started, my hand became totally independent of my own consciousness. It was just like, I'm like, what is happening? And um, this happened for seven nights in a row. And I got the book published And I always tease that my mom and dad, friends and family, everybody that I knew bought the book who were not the target audience for this book at all. They all thought I had lost my mind talking about energy and, 
changing thoughts and lack perspective and versus abundance perspective, they did not get it. And so Oprah wasn't calling. So I started speaking in spiritual bookstores and churches. And that's when people started asking me if to coach them. And I had no idea there was this profession just 20 years ago. No, no idea. There was this profession of life coaching. And I thought it was a joke. I'm like, what, why would people, why would people hire a coach? I'm like, just, just call me on the phone and I'll help you walk through this stuff. Right. And uh, I did, and I was helping them shift their mindset, their perspective, their process emotions. They were calling me or emailing me back going, oh my God, like this happened and that happened. I just got a debt. I got the promotion. I just met the man, you know, like incredible stories. And I just love the process of being on a phone with someone and coaching them and helping them shift. And then having the after effects, knowing that I had a hand in that. And at the time I was a pharmaceutical sales rep, which Mm -hmm. I didn't feel on purpose or passionate about at all. I actually felt out of integrity because if I get a headache, I usually put peppermint oil and then I'm good to go. I don't even take an aspirin. (laughs) So here I'm, you know, here I am selling all these medications. So that started my journey and I started pursuing becoming a coach. And here I am 20 years later, I quit my day job 14 years ago and have had a successful business and people heal and certified over 3000 life coaches in law of attraction and seven books later, here I am. (laughs) You are such a rock star and I absolutely love it. Oh my God. Now I have to ask you, this is always a random question that I say, just because Somehow this is always linked to where you end up, right? What did you actually want to be when you grew up? I remember what, as a little kid, my mom would go on all these trips with my dad. And so she would go into like the travel agents, you know, the place and the travel agent would be taking the papers. And back then they didn't have e-tickets, you know, they had all the tickets and they would staple them together and, you know, do all that. And so I would literally pretend that I was like this business person, but almost like a travel agent. And I would take papers and I would staple them together and hand it to the client. I mean, that was what I thought I was going to do something businessy where I'd be stapling papers together. Either that or a dancer, like a backup dancer for like Paula Abdul or a singer. I would pretend I, in the mirror, I was Pat Benatar. So, you know, one of those. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it so much. So, Hey, it's correlated to what you do now though. Hey, you're, you're changing lives all over the world, right? So yes, in a, yes, in a very different sense. Yes. <laughs> but, but, you know, those business papers, like they're your books. So yes. now it's always correlated. That's yes. so funny. So aside from the hairdresser that you met in California, who has been sort of your biggest inspiration throughout your life in your early years, would you say? I would say my godmother, she was like a angel walking among us. My mom's a very lovely person, but really has a lot of pain body and very unconscious and not really careful in what she says. And at one point isn't anymore, but because I've changed my relationship with her, but was very critical and condemning. And my godmother was like the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, I came back, I moved from to when I lived in Chicago, when I came back for visits, I would have lunch with my mother and my godmother. And I remember this one lunch, my godmother was talking about how, what an angel I was and how I would come over to her house 
and everybody would be so excited. And I would just light up a room and, you know, I was just, I filled the room with light and she was just so precious and like all these beautiful things. Right. And then my mom would say this one, she never ate. She never slept. She was a pain in the ass. If I say jump, she'd say no. If I'd say go left, she'd go right. She was always such a problem and blah, blah, blah. And I said, whoa, are you two talking about the same person? Like, are you both talking about the same person? Because it's amazing to see how one person has this perspective and how my godmother, like my mom had this perspective. My godmother had this other perspective. My mom had the lens on that I am a pain in the ass. I mean, nothing I did was ever going to be enough. She put the lenses on of she's a pain in the ass. So nothing I did was ever going to be good enough. Or And my godmother had on the lens that I was a precious child from God. She saved me really, honestly, having that level of light and that level of inspiration and that level of unconditional, just pure love from her was what my sister didn't have. And I always say that that was the biggest difference because my sister and I had the same parents and I'm not blaming my parents gone through, been there, done that. Right. It's like, I take responsibility for choosing it as that family, as a soul and all the things I've learned. But it is really interesting because the only real differences between my sister's upbringing and my upbringing is that I spent a lot of time with my godmother and her family. She had four kids and they all adored me and they were all like bigger brothers and sisters and they would play with, I got to go over there and they had bunnies and kittens and, you know, things running around at my house. It was like, you know, military, which we were not in the military. Dogs can't come in the house, can't sit on your bed. You know, you got to wear your shoes and socks, which didn't make any sense to me because shoes and socks, you're going to bring in dirt from the house, you know, from the outside, but you had to wear your shoes and socks in the house. And I was, I was always like, well, that's stupid. Tell talking to my mom going, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, why can't I sit on my bed? Right. Like these things just didn't make a lot. And so I would argue with her and I could see from her perspective where it was like, oh my God, I was so argumentative. Cause I'm like, well, just tell me why. Cause I just want to know. It doesn't make sense because I said so. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't work for me. Why? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then she would get frustrated. Stop asking me, you know? So I could see from her lens why I would be considered a pain in the ass. But I mean, from my godmother, it was like, you want to take off your shoes, take off your shoes. You want to roll around in the dirt? Go roll around in the dirt. You know, she was very allowing. You want to go play with the bunnies? Catch one. She thought everything I did was cute. Whereas my mom, everything I did was like, oh God. (laughs) Oh my God. That's crazy though. Because it's interesting how, because both personalities are so different to you. The energies are so different in both realms. And you could sense that right away between them. Wow. I really felt safe, like with my godmother. I didn't feel judged. I felt free. I remember just that even as a little girl, I just felt so free to be me. That was the thing that my sister didn't ever get. Right. I'm sorry to hear that about your sister too. I mean, I can't imagine. I know there's a lot of people that face those types of traumas and not to open any wounds or anything, but how were you able to sort of overcome that and heal from that process? Because I know there's a lot of people listening who may be going through something similar right now. What would be your biggest advice with with overcoming that? Well, the thing was, when you look at the stages of loss, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked about the five stages of loss or grieving. I let myself go through every single stage. And Mm -hmm. when I felt angry, I allowed myself to feel the anger, 
right? When I felt sad, I allowed myself to cry every tear. And for years, you know, I would be at Christmas time because that was always the time because my sister moved to California when I was six years old, but she would always come back always for Christmas. So Christmas was like my time with her. And so Christmas was always like, no matter where we were in the world, if I lived in Chicago or she lived in California, we always came back to Arizona for Christmas. And so Christmas was hard for me for many of the first several years, because it was like, that's when I really missed her because I didn't have her there. But because I had opened up to this spiritual realm and the spiritual approach, I had so many signs that she was there and she was okay, like really trippy things. I'll just give you one example. When we went to San Diego to get her ashes because she wanted to be cremated, we would spread them over sunset cliffs because that's what her favorite place was. And she was a sign of a cancer. So she's a crab, right? So I go to spread the ashes over the cliffs and a big gust of wind came and put a bunch of the ashes on top of the cliff. And as soon as I did that, out of nowhere, because there wasn't any before this, out of nowhere, a big black crab came out of the rock and went and sat on the ashes. And I was like, okay, she's okay. She's all right. And then really trippy things. Like she and I used to connect with music, right? And all different kinds of music. And this one morning where I was feeling that sense of like, gosh, I miss my sister. Like I really miss, I really miss her. All of a sudden I turned on this, I was living in Sacramento at the time and I turned on this country Western station, right? And the song from Garth Brooks, the dance comes on. Now that song, wow, you know, it's like the dance of life. And just listening to the lyrics was just like, wow, it totally explains my relationship with her. Then another song from Sarah McLaughlin, I Will Remember You, which also played when we went to San Diego to you know, take her ashes. I mean, it was like, she was speaking to me directly. And then the third one was boogie, oogie, oogie from a taste of honey, which was disco. So you've got three different genres of music on a country Western station. What DJ in their right mind would play those three different genres on a station, right? That same sequence happened a handful of other times. One time I was driving in Susanville where there's literally no, this, we didn't have satellite radio back then. It was like you had your station or you didn't listen to the music because I was driving up into the mountains as I was a, a pharmaceutical rep. Mm-hmm. And so there's two stations. One was talk radio or the one that had music barely would come in and out. I couldn't even barely hear it half the time. So a lot of times I would just turn off the radio as I'm driving through the mountains and the beautiful trees and it's gorgeous. Garth Brooks, <laughs> Sarah McLaughlin, Boogie, Boogie, Boogie uh, Taste of Honey. And in the same order. And I'm going, whoa, like, okay, I get you're here with me. Wow. Right. And it was it, it, like, I've had so many times, like I visited Sunset Close before and I'm sitting there, I'm just kind of meditating. And all of a sudden I felt as if someone actually came and sat next to me and I opened my eyes and turned, there was nobody there. It was totally my, I could feel my sister's energy. I could have sworn someone physically came and put their body next to me and there was nobody there next to me. Wow. So in things like this, where I would say, gosh, you know, I missed one of my, I miss my sister's talks because we would get on the phone together and talk for hours. And then that night I had a dream that I was holding a phone talking to my sister. And when I woke up in the morning, I felt just so fulfilled. I'm like, I had a sister talk. 
So those type of things, because I opened up, yeah, so that's why I was saying I was so grateful that I had already started meditating and I started understanding about spirituality and about energy that I was able to feel and be open to all of that. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's insane to know that they're there with us, right? And and yeah. I always say, you know, when whenever I hear of somebody passing, I tell everybody, listen, they're just in a different dimension. They're there. You just can't see them. Yeah. Well, like what the council says, because I obviously have a very different perspective when I'm channeling the council. I'm not present. My consciousness is totally out, but I want to hear the things that they share later. They say, imagine that you're in your own center of a football field. You're literally on the field and all of the stands represent, you know, all the stands are filled. All that represents the team of angels and guides and masters and fairies of the universe, you know, beings of light that are there to support you. And that front row of that first, you know, stadium, that front row is all the people. It's your grandmother, it's your grandfather, it's your sister, it's, you know, whoever has passed on that you knew in the physical, they're in the front row mm. right there to support you. So it's not just the, fo- the people that we knew that passed on. I mean, we've got more than we can count that are with us right now watching out for us, telling us, go there instead of there. You know, that all of a sudden you get that idea to do this instead of that. And then you find out later that, wow, if I would have done that, that would have been detrimental, mm-hmm. right? It was like, there's, they're whispering to us and we can either be open to it or we can go, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm going that way anyway. Right, right. And, and yeah. I found it crazy. You were mentioning too, that you were woken up at 1.05 a.m for seven nights in a row. And you just kept writing. You were being channeled through to write that book. When was that in particular? 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. And every single book that I write is like that. The Desire Factor, which is my new book coming out this April, same exact thing. My last book, this is a funny story. um, My last book called Quantum Success. I'm on a cruise ship in the middle of the Mediterranean with my family. And it's three o'clock in the morning and I get the, I mean, it's like, I'm wide awake. Right. And it's like, grab your pen and journal. And I'm like, I'm on a cruise ship. My husband's in the room. I can't turn on the light here. My one son's in the living room area. Turn the light in there. He's waking up. There was another little room where my other son was. Can't turn on that light. So where do I get to go? The bathroom. Cause the bathroom lights on in case anybody has to go into the bathroom. Right. I go into the bathroom, stack up a bunch of, Towels (laughs) Towels because <laughs> it's cold <laughs> linoleum floor in there. Took my journal and my pen and just, and that became quantum success. Wow. Wow. I just find it so fascinating. I'm like, so you just like jolted awake and just, wow. it's, it's like I'm being woken up. Okay. I, I always say it's not convenient, but I'm, I'm dedicated to it. So if it comes at three in the morning or one Oh five in the morning, or when I wrote the art of having it all, it was all downloaded within two weeks, but it wasn't during the night. Like most of my other books were, but I literally had to tell my kids who were at the time three and four. Right. Mm -hmm. And my husband, which totally understood. I had to tell them, listen, I've got a book downloading through me. It's weird. It's happening at all times of the day and night. So if you see me pick up my journal and my pen, which I was instructed to keep it with me at all times, it could be when I'm driving, I had to pull over and, you know, when you see me grab my pen and pencil 
don't mommy, mommy me. Just go, oh, pause, time out. Let me write. It won't take long, but let me get out what I need to get out. And then I'll be with you in a moment. And they were so good about it because all, all of a sudden I'm like, hold that thought. And I grabbed a crab, you know, and, and, I'm, and they were looking at me and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what was happening? And then I would put it down, put it away. And then I'd play with them again or, you know, be with them at dinner or whatever it was. And it was just, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So from your first book, that's sort of what led you into speaking at different churches and things like that and kind of slowing you into the coaching world. Yes. From there, how did you transition to creating, you know, to becoming a certified law of attraction expert and all of that stuff? So how did it really expand for you? Well, I had the book come out. And then the second book I wrote was Why Did She Choose Suicide? And it was a book on how to heal with a spiritual approach to a tragedy. And mm -hmm. so that was the second book I wrote. But while I was doing this, while I was writing books on the side, I was a pharmaceutical rep. And at this time I got married and um, not to my husband now, but I got married and later was divorced, but I was just calling on physicians in my area and I was applying what I knew from energy and from universal laws and these kind of things that I became like the number one rep in my area. And people kept looking at me going, what are you doing? And as I pursued becoming a life coach and went to school for it and training and continued to, you know, people that were wanting me to speak and, and were in my workshops, wanting me to coach them. I was doing it for free and just kind of doing it and kind of creating my own coaching system, if you will, because I wasn't at that point trained and they were getting results because it's universal laws. Right. And so I'll never forget this woman named Letitia she was in my district. She was on my, my team for the pharmaceutical company. And she said to me, what are you doing? You're winning every award. You're both getting all maximum amounts on money with bonuses. Like she was at the lower ring of the company, let alone the district. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you want me to coach you? And so she was my first paying client. I now make it the thousand dollars an hour. She was, she was $65 an hour. <laughs> I know. And she went from being like, if there was 450 sales reps in the company, she was like 445. I mean, like that low on the, she wow. went all the way up in 10% when president's trophy, when tons of bonuses, all this kind of stuff, just by applying the information I was coaching her on. What? That's yeah. Real. And so then because of that, she referred her friend who then within a very short period of time went from making one year $65,000 a year to nine, it was $99,000. And she was like, I wanted to make a hundred thousand. I'm like, you just made <laughs> like, hello, like 35,000 more dollars. You didn't hit your goal of a hundred thousand, but you made like 99 point, you know, whatever it was. 99,000. That's a huge jump. Most people don't make that huge of a jump in a year's period. Yeah. Right. So sometimes it's just a shift in perspective. Cause we're like, Oh, I didn't hit the goal, but it's like, uh, you kind of did. So yeah. So she, she was my, she was my second client and I charged a hundred dollars an hour with her. Right. And then I got training and it's kind of fun because as a coach, I was able to give myself a raise all along the way. And as the more I saw people were getting value from it, the more I got confidence that, wait, this system that I'm doing is working. Yep. And what's crazy is that I had, you know, 
started my own business. I left corporate America. When I, when I left corporate America, I was, I, well, let me go back. So I was living in Redding, California, just a small town in California. And my husband at the time, he was born and raised there. And so things just kind of happened where we, we weren't together anymore. We were getting a divorce and I got a literally a lateral move. It was a big promotion, but if you look on the map of the United States, like Redding, California is here. If you draw a line, you cannot go further than Pennsylvania. It's literally, I mean, it couldn't go any further. And I got a promotion with the company I was working for to be in Philadelphia. That's so I, I packed up and moved to Philadelphia and that's where I met. I was at a, a personal development conference and that's where I met my husband, Frederick, who I've been with for 14 years, almost 15 years. And so here I was in corporate America. I was a sales training manager, right? And I wanted, I wanted nothing but to be a coach full time. And I wanted to have my own business. And so he was living in Canada and I was living in Pennsylvania and we were doing the long distance thing. And finally I decided to quit. And so I went full time in my business. And within a year, I was making more money than I was on my own than I was in corporate America, making my own hours, being my own boss. And I had several clients and within a week, it was insane. I had one person that I was coaching. She said, I want you to certify me as a coach, as a law of attraction coach. And I said, well, I'll tell you where I went. I don't do that. And she goes, no, I, I mean, assistant, I want you. Now, I don't want anybody else. I don't want to go where you went. I want you to teach me what you do. What you do is so effective. Nobody else is doing that. I want you to do it. And I said, well, Vanessa, I'll think about it, right? That next night for two nights in a row, I was doing an abundance workshop at a local yoga studio in Montreal. First night, I had a guy come up to me saying, I want you to certify me to do what you do. And I'm like, I don't do that, but thank <laughs> you. it's a compliment, right? And this is like three days in a row. The next night, a woman comes up to me at the break and she goes, I had this epiphany. I want to do what you do. And I want you to train me to do it. And I'm kind of going, seriously, <laughs> what is going on? Right. And, and so I'm like, okay, so this is on a Thursday morning. I'll never forget this. I'm like, okay, if I was going to train people to do what I do, knowing what I know, what would I do? And again, pen to paper, the whole entire certification from module to the length of time to the content in it literally came out. And I was like, whoa, I spent like two hours writing. Wow. And so that later that day, one of my clients, she comes on the call with me and she goes, oh my God, I'm so excited. I was, I've been like dying to talk to you. I feel like, you know, it's been like forever since we were going to get on this call together. She goes, I figured, finally figured out what I want to do. I want to do what you do. And I want you to certify me. And I said, well, Evelyn, I'm actually putting together a certification. She goes, I will be the first to sign up. And she was. And wow. so that was in 2008. And I started certifying coaches long before most people were doing it long before most people knew that life coaching existed or law of attraction existed. And uh, I've certified over 3000 coaches. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh. This has just been like slow things throughout your journey that have really like propelled you forward. And I think what's so cool and what you mentioned that you took the jump from corporate America to becoming your own coach. And that's something that like, I know, and especially a lot of women struggle with like making that jump. Yeah. What would be your biggest piece of advice there? And like actually being like, okay, you know what? Bye. <laughs> I'm doing my own thing. You'll know when the timing is right. 
Cause for me, I knew I was moving into that and I knew that I needed to, what, what I teach, right. It's like, I knew I needed to be in a place happy and satisfied with where I was. I couldn't be like, Oh my God, this job sucks. And my boss sucks. And when am I going to get out of it and feeling impatience because that's coming from lack and lack is never the fulfillment of what I want. Cause if you look at it on a spectrum, Lack is on one side, abundance is on the other side. Lack always feels bad. It pushes away, repels the things that we want from us, right? And abundance attracts things to us. Abundance feels good. Well, there's a tipping point and that's satisfaction. So I literally would every single day on my drive to work in the morning, because now I wasn't a pharmaceutical rep anymore where I could just make my own hours and work a couple hours if I wanted to a day. I was in eight to five, couldn't get there later than eight, couldn't leave before five. I was there in an office and, you know, I had my own office where I could actually close the door, but the boss that I had, oh my God, I I wrote about this in quantum success. We we called him Eagle because he was like, always overheads, you know, looking after us and, you know. He was just, he would go in and snoop in our offices when we weren't there. He was just so creepy. And so I literally had to put myself in a place as I was driving to work, looking at all of the positive aspects of my now while getting excited, knowing that someday, someday soon, I was going to be my own boss and being able to coach full-time doing absolutely what I love. So I would sit there and say, you know, I make really great money and I have nights and weekends free so I can coach and build my business. And I make great money so I can invest in the business. And I've got a couple of friends that I enjoy being with at work. And that's great to take breaks and to be silly with. And, you know, it it would just list all these different things. It's sales training. So I'm learning how to create programs, right? And that that was actually really good training because I have a lot of group coaching programs. I mean, help me when I created the Quantum Success Coaching Academy, right? To how to facilitate learning, adult learning. So it was like, I'm getting training for what's coming. You know, I was looking for at the positive aspects and then getting excited about what I wanted to do, why I wanted to do it and how I was going to feel when I did it. And that's really the formula is being in that space of abundance, being in that space of satisfaction in your now and getting excited for what else is coming. Because I would too, it's like, oh, is it time? Is it time? When is it going to be time? Oh, you know, and then it just became so clear now. Right. It's kind of like, when should I jump? When should I jump? When should I jump? I don't know when to jump. Should I jump? Am I not going to jump? You know? And then all of a sudden it's like, jump. I just took the jump, took the leap. Right. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. And now, you know, talking about your next book that's coming out, the desire factor is coming out in April, 2021, which is so exciting. Yeah. Uh, Give us a little summary on that, like a little sneak peek on that and what's coming. Yes. Absolutely. So most people right now are living with fear factor. (laughs) Yeah. And we need to turn it into desire factor. And so that's what I I call the book, the desire factor. And it's, you know, 25 years of what I know to be true about how to really manifest your desires and what order, because a lot of times people have pieces of information on how to create a desire, but a lot of times they don't put it in the right order. And like a good combination lock, if you get the the numbers mixed up, it's not going to open. There's a sequence. There's a step-by-step process to attaining your desires, not just from a physical perspective of working hard and, you know, taking action. That's one of it for sure, because we're physical and we're non-physical, but the other things to really get us into alignment with what we want. 
And, you know, a lot of times people will get a desire and then they'll talk themselves out of it. They'll have a desire and then they'll say, well, I don't know how to do that. Who do I think I am to do that? Or, oh, other people are doing it. Right. And so we talk ourselves out of it or we say, well, that's kind of a materialistic desire. I don't know if I should, I don't know if that's good to want that. Right. So we question our desires. And if a desire comes through and it's good for you and it's good for others and it feels good, it's coming from your divine self. If you have the desire to seek revenge on someone, that's not coming from your divine self because your divine self is never in a place of like, let's go, you know, have revenge on this person. But if it's something that is a desire that feels good, whether it's material or not, right, to have a new house to have a bigger house, to have a nicer car, you know, to start a business, to have a high fashion purse. I talk about how, for me, I love high fashion and high fashion purses have been marks of success for me. And desiring those things literally stretched me to have that greater success. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about embracing the materialistic parts of ourselves, our, our materialistic nature to reclaim our full spiritual power mm -hmm. and that no desires are off limits. If we have them, if we think of them, most people go, Oh, I'm good. Right. I don't have any desires. Right. Well, Hey, isn't that being satisfied? Isn't that what you just said? Be satisfied with what you have excited for more. Yeah. It's the excited for more. And that's what desires do because mm -hmm. desires are the birth of more desires are creation. Like none of us would be here if there wasn't a desire, right? If my mom and dad didn't desire to have another baby, I wouldn't be here. Right. 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 Wow. If the yeah. divine did not desire to have human beings instead of dinosaurs, we would not be here. <laughs> right. Desire is the birth of all creation. And so when we suppress our desires and say, I'm good, I don't need anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to do more. I'm just going to stay here. It's because we're afraid of being disappointed. If, our, if we put ourselves out there, if we claim that we want something and then it doesn't happen, we're terrified of fear, of yep. disappointment, right? So people are in fear factor, disappointment factor. We need to get back into desire factor, focusing more on what we want and why we want to, what we want to create, how we want to feel, what we want to experience, what we want to do, what we want to be. And it's time for all of us to shift into that. Right, right. Because that's the number one stopper of any success, right? It's always fear. Like you yeah. said, everyone's living in fear factor. So yeah. what would be sort of your sneak peek tip of overcoming that? Yeah. So I mean, alignment, when I say alignment, it means knowing what you want, right? Most people stop. They stop. When I say to clients, what do you want? What do you want in this area? Well, I don't want this. And I don't, they go revert, revert back to what they don't want okay, we know what you don't want, but what do you want, right? We have to let ourselves get permission and start focusing on mm -hmm. what we do want and letting ourselves have not only the mental, like the thoughts and the visuals about what that would look like, but the feeling sense, getting our emotions involved, getting our whole entire consciousness involved in the process of moving towards that. Our words, what we say, if we're saying, oh, I can't do that, that thought, that word can't is in lack. It's going to pull our energy down. It constricts us. It doesn't create. Right. But instead, if we tell ourselves I can, or I want, you know, I desire, 
now it starts opening up the creation of that. I have a whole series called Watch Your Words. And because people would always ask me, well, where's the first place to start when you're wanting to, you know, create your desires or manifest something different? And I, or even work with universal laws. And I said, you have to watch your words because words are the birth, they like start the creation process because thoughts are a series of words and thoughts thought over and over and over again become beliefs. Yeah. We create from our beliefs. They also create our emotions, right? And they dictate if we're going to take action or not. So watching our words is pretty important. Right. As a gift to you and your audience, you can go to watchyourwords.com. It's a 30-day video program. They're like two to four minutes in length. And they tell you what word or phrase to absolutely eliminate from your vocabulary, why, and what to say, what to say instead, because it's, it makes a huge difference. Huge. I love that. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. Your words are everything and they affect your thoughts. Your thoughts affect your energy and energy is everything. So it's like a domino effect on, on it everything. Is. And I always ask this question and I'm so interested to see what you're going to say about this, but what would your older self tell your younger self with what you know now? I would say the biggest thing is love and accept yourself mm. because for me, my life just totally changed in 2018 when I started channeling the council and understanding that not just for me, but for everybody that the divine that's breathing us, that's beating our hearts, loves and adores us, no matter how many missteps we take, no matter how badly we judge ourselves, no matter what we weigh, no matter what we do, loves and accepts us. And when I started feeling my way into that truth, it's like, oh, there are no problems. Knowing I'm loved and accepted and knowing that you are loved and accepted, each one of you, you know, it's like, no matter what we do, the divine's always like, oh, she's cute. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it never judges us. It never condemns us. It never criticizes us. It doesn't do to us what we do to ourselves. So I would definitely say be kinder to yourself and love and accept yourself. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness and where they can find your new book that's coming up. Yeah, that's exciting. So the desirefactor.com, I mean, it's going to be everywhere, Amazon, all that. And because it's coming out in April, I'm pre-selling it right now on my website, thedesirefactor.com. And when you purchase this $15 book, that will absolutely change your life because every word is just infused with this amazing council energy. You get three uh, meditation slash, slash processes from the council right away to get you into the feeling sense of being one with your desires and to bring in the energy of success and to work in the hologram to be able to really design your life the way you want to, to do it. So you get all three of those immediately when you pre-purchase the book. So if you go to the desirefactor.com, you pre-order the book, you get a membership access to all three of those right away. And then because you purchased it from me, not Amazon or other places like that, you actually get a four-week live interactive group coaching call uh, with the council going through each of the concepts in the book. And those start in May. And then there's also like a lot of meditations and like worksheets in the book. And those are also recorded and you get access to those as well. So there's a lot of goodness in that. It's like $900 worth of bonuses when you buy a $15 book. You can pre-order it now and get all that now. The book will then obviously ship in April when it releases. 
that's amazing. And then yeah. your personal website, christywetman.com too, so that everyone can see your amazing work and all the yeah. incredible things that you are. Oh my God, Christy, thank you so much for being here today. I love your spirit. I love your energy. I'm pumped to read your book. I'm going <laughs> to order that personally myself. So, and everyone who's listening, you better order that too, because you get all kinds of amazingness with it. And thank you so much for offering that to the listeners as well. Christy, You're thank welcome. you so much. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. Oh,